I'll let you know, uh, we've been in the series of the Ten Commandments, and this morning we're going to be looking at the Fifth Commandment, um, but it's a tough passage, and the principles that we're going to look at are really hard principles, really talking about our relationship to authority, and uh, the governing authorities, and different authorities, and and we're going to be looking at a lot of things that are really challenging, uh, but I also tell you that in a lot of ways we're going to be touching, you know, just you know, kind of touching the surface. And there's a lot of really practical questions that you might have. What about this? What about... Well, one of the things that we are going to be doing through the fall is that what we're going to do on Sunday night is often going to dovetail with what we did on Sunday morning. And it's really a chance for you to go deeper, to ask the specific questions that you might have. You know, what about... So when we talk about authority, you know, how do we view you know, all that's going on and to fund the police and the riots and, and how do we view the shutdowns and vaccine mandates and is, how should we respond to that? And how do we look at uh, in some areas where governments aren't letting churches meet and how should we respond to that? Or, or people, when you have people in authority tell you that you have to, you, you know, use preferred pronouns or, you know, how do we respond? And so we're going to look at that and a lot of other questions. Um, we're going to give you a chance to ask any questions you might have. So, so please consider joining us again tonight. That's going to be 6 to 7 here. You could also join us online. And uh, we really want to give you a chance to struggle with and the specific applications to what we're going to look at this morning. We are looking at, on, in the Ten Commandments, the Fifth Commandment. And, and we're going to look at a couple passages, number one, Deuteronomy 5, where one of the places the Ten Commandments are given. Uh, also, we're going to spend a lot of time in 1 Peter chapter 2 and some teaching about our relationship to the government. But let me start by reading from Deuteronomy 5, 5, 16, which is, again, one of the places where the Ten Commandments are given. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege, again, that we have to come together this morning. Father, thank you for the truths that are here for the truths that you give us as foundations to life and even to our culture. Father, I thank you, and I pray that you would now speak. I thank you for what you've taught me this week, and I pray that your spirit would speak through me and in spite of me. Father, if there is anything that's of my opinion, I pray that it would get lost, and that somehow you would communicate not, not the words or opinions of a man, but somehow through a man, the timeless truths of your word that, that we all need. Father, I pray your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you, over the last couple of years, we've seen unprecedented turmoil and confusion and, and even craziness in our country, really over the debate of the role of government in our culture. On the one hand, you've had people that have gone all the way to the one side of saying, we should do away with any governing authority. And so some groups have been you know, protesting, we need to defund the police, we need to get rid of, and, 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 and many people have celebrated that. And, or, or you've had other people that have looked at and say, well, national, we need to get rid of ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and, and just do away with these authorities. Some of you might remember in 2020, there were all kinds of riots, and, and many of those riots were really calling for doing away with all authority. In fact, for some, the ultimate expression of what their goal was, was realized for a short time in Seattle when they, they set up an area they first of all called CHOP, uh, Capitol Hill Organized Protest, and then they renamed it for what they really wanted it to be, to, to CHAZ. You know, it was the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. This was a place where there was no authority, where they were autonomous, and, and that was the goal. 
Now, that's one side. And at the same, hand, same time, you could look on the other hand, you've had government leaders probably more than any other time in our nation's history seek to take control and exercise authority over more areas of our life than we've ever seen before. You know, from mandatory stay-at-home orders to, you know, decisions about closing stores and government leaders saying, well, what stores can be open and what stores can be closed? And some states prohibiting churches from being able to have in-live worship. In Canada, you still can't. Uh, it's still prohibited. Uh, to mass mandates, to vaccine mandates, and the government's telling you what you have to put in your body, and we've got all these things. And never before in American history have we seen anything like this where the government is exercising more control over more areas of our life. And, and what's, what I find interesting is that you have both of these happening at the same time. You have one extreme saying, do away with all authority, and you have the other extreme saying, no, the government should control everything. And we've got to look at this and say, how... How do we understand these things? As, as followers of Christ, how are we to navigate these, these arguments and, and what's right? Now, I'm convinced that if we try to respond by looking at the latest crisis or the latest health alert or the latest opinion poll, if we try to look at the latest issue, we're going to be as confused as our culture is. I believe that really to navigate any of these questions well, we have to start by saying, what are the core issues? What are the core things, the truths that, that are the foundation that runs behind all of these questions? Because if we get the core right, if we have our foundation right, then all these other things will start to make a whole lot more sense. Now, the good news is that there is foundational truth. God has given us foundational truths that help us to make sense of all this. When we look at the Ten Commandments, that's what the Ten Commandments in part are. It's these 10 God-given foundational principles for building our lives, for building our culture. These are the core truths, the core things that God wants us to focus on. And if we get, again, get these right, everything else will start to make a little bit more sense. Now, last week, we began to look at the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. And we saw that at first, it might seem pretty straightforward. You know, a lot of people say, what is it? Well, it's telling kids to obey their parents. Well, it's that, but it's more. What we see, it's, it's, it, it is a moral rule, but it's even more than that. It's a foundational principle. See, it starts by the moral rule of what we see, of telling us, okay, here's what we're to do. But it's also teaching this principle about the way that we're to view the world and our culture. Throughout the series, we've been talking about how in many ways we should see the Ten Commandments like a game of Jenga. We have a giant Jenga set up here. And, and the whole idea is that as you play the game of Jenga, at first, you know, you can take some blocks out, you can maybe get away with it, but there are some blocks that become foundational, that the whole thing rests upon certain blocks. And if I take a foundational block out, what happens since the tower is resting on that, the tower is going to fall. And so what we've seen is that in a lot of ways, the Ten Commandments are the foundational blocks. Here we are trying to build a tower in our life, we're trying to build this tower in our culture, and these are these foundational truths that God has given us for our good. Because he wants us to have a healthy life. He wants us to have a healthy culture. But it's also telling us that if we ignore these things, what's going to happen is like taking out a foundational block and the culture collapses, the tower collapses. And I really believe, and we're going to see this some today and in the weeks to come, that if you want to look at all the confusion, all the turmoil, all the things that we're struggling with, they can all be taken or traced back to this fact that we've, re we've removed the core issues. We've removed the foundational blocks. 
Now, we're looking at the fifth commandment today. If you want to understand all the confusion about questions of authority, well, let's go back to this foundational truth. As we look at it, one of the things that we've seen throughout our ten, the study is that, is that we're never going to just look at a commandment simplistically. We're always going to look deeply, and, and we're going to dig deep in two related ways. On the one hand, each week we want to come and we want to say, okay, how do we dig deep, in a sense, get close to it? And realizing that not, God's just not giving us a rule. He's giving us a moral principle that's dealing not only with our behavior, but our heart. He wants us to, to, to be different people, not just do different things. So what's it teaching about our character? But then we also want to zoom out, in a sense, to take a step back and not only look at each block, but see how it fits into the tower. How does it state a broad principle that literally helps us understand other aspects of life? And to use the illustration of Jenga, that's what we're doing, is we're seeing how it's a foundational block, how it impacts other blocks that are above it. Now, last week, we began looking at the fifth commandment, and we started by looking up close. We looked at the commandment to honor your parents. And we saw that it's not just a command to kids, kids, obey your parents. It's a command to all of us, honor your father and mother. And so what does that mean? Well, start, it starts, what does it mean to honor? It's not obey, it's honor. What's that mean? And children, what does that mean to honor your parents? Parents, what does it mean for us to teach our children to honor us? All of us who are adults who have living parents, we're still called to honor our father and mother. What does that mean? How do we live that out? Now, that's what was last week. If you weren't here last week, if you want to go back, the message is available on, on our website. It's available on our podcast. Uh, that's what we looked at last week. This week, we want to step back and see how is it this principle, what, how is it this principle where God is saying something about our culture? And the principle isn't just about family, it's about, God honor, about learning to honor all God-ordained authority. Now, this is really important. One of the things that we talked about last week is when you look at the Ten Commandments, God gave the commandments in two tablets. The first four are dealing with our relationship with God. The last six are dealing with our relationship with each other. And we saw how the first of those are foundations to the whole. They're, in a sense, more important. The ones, that, you know, the, the first and the fifth are foundations that the others rest upon. Now, we have to look at that and say, if that's true, why is it that the fifth commandment is the most important one about our relationship with each other? I don't know about you, but again, if you'd ask me, I think most people would say, well, it's got to be murder. Don't murder. That's the good starting point, right? You know, don't murder, maybe don't commit adultery, don't steal. But you wouldn't think that the very first one is honor your father and mother. Why is that first? Well, there's a number of reasons. I think one is that God is teaching that the family is the very foundation of a culture. That you want to have a healthy culture, it starts by having healthy families. And beyond that, it's saying not only that, but then we need to realize as parents and grandparents, when we teach our children to obey and honor us, we're teaching them to honor other positions of authority. So in other words, if I don't teach my kids to honor me, they're not going to honor their teachers. They're not going to honor police officers. They're not going to honor their bosses. They're not going to honor other people. And, and the result is their life isn't going to work really well. And there's another beyond. Beyond that, when we teach our children to honor our authority as parents, it's also the very first step in teaching them to honor God. Why? Because I'm teaching them, honor me because I'm the authority God has put over you. 
It's the very first step in teaching them, you are not your own authority. There is an authority over you. Ultimately, I'm pointing towards the ultimate authority of God. And if we don't teach them to honor God, then, then we're really in a mess. Now, I want to tell you, there's a practical point of application here. And that is, when we think of parents or grandparents, this is not just something we have to talk about, but we also have to model. See, the question is, how am I modeling for my kids how I respond to authority? See, I could tell them, you've got to honor me, but then if they look in my model and they see me dishonoring people that are in positions of authority over me, speaking negatively of them, the fact is they're going to learn more from my example than they are going to from my words. You know, there's the old saying, you know, I, I can't hear what you're saying because your, your actions speak too loudly. And that's the problem, is that if I'm teach, telling them, oh, you've got to honor your parents, you know, you've got to honor me, but I'm dishonoring the authorities, then, then they're going to learn from the example. I want to tell you, this is convicting. Um, even in little things. I mean, I was reminded back of, as I thought about it, back a couple years ago, I was teaching one of my kids, starting to teach him how to drive. And uh, so we're in the car, and I'm trying to go through and teaching them, you know, different signs and what they mean. And, and, um, and, and so we come to a, red, to a traffic light. And I say, okay, well, you know, you know, red means he says, stop. You know, green means go. And I says, and yellow means, and he says, speed up. I'm like, where did he get that? Oh, man, I know where he got that. <laughs> you know, he's been riding with me, and I've been teaching him the whole time. Now, how in the world do I turn around and say, well, it doesn't mean speed up. It really means slow down and yield. Some people are saying, that's what it means. I didn't know that. You know, that's what it does, supposed to mean. And how am I supposed to say, well, this is what it really means when I have been teaching by my example, by a bad example, well, every time you get a red light, hit the gas. See, there's an inconsistency. And we've got to realize, okay, what am I doing? How am I even driving? How am I responding to the traffic rules? And, and, and what does that say about my model? On, on a positive scope, as a church, we want to actually, anytime we, ha we get a chance, we want to affirm those in positions of leadership. Uh, a small way we're doing this is in a couple weeks, October 9th, um, Saturday, October 9th, two weeks from yesterday, the Summit County Sheriff's Office is working with some local churches to put on an event called, they're calling Faith in Blue. Uh, it's where churches can come together and show their support for, for law enforcement. It's going to be Saturday, October 9th from 11 to 3 o'clock at the uh, Akron University Fieldhouse. There are all kinds of activities, fun things. And what we're hoping to do is to model that the church supports our law enforcement. We're going to have a booth there, we're, it, it, even from some of our people. If you want more information, call the church. We'd love to share with that. But it's just a small expression of how we're trying to live out the values of the fifth commandment. Because it's not just about honoring parents. It's this big picture about honoring authority. And it's this big principle that also comes with a promise. In fact, if you look in throughout the, uh, all the Ten Commandments, it's the only of the commandments that comes with a promise. It's a promise for healthy life and culture. Now, let me go ahead and read from Deuteronomy 5, and let me read it again. Listen to the promise. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. And now the promise is often misunderstood. I think when I hear most people say, what's the promise of the fifth commandment? Well, if you obey your parents, your days will be long. You're going to live long. You're going to have a longer life. I've even heard some people joke about that. You know, so if you obey your parents, you're going to live long because your parents aren't going to beat you. You know, they're going to, you know, no, that's not what it's saying. That's not the idea. Um, actually, that's not, the promise isn't even for a long life. It's actually far more far-reaching 
And if you understand it, you understand an awful lot about the nature of the Ten Commandments. Let's go back to it. Listen to the promise. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is, is giving you. It may go well in the land that the Lord is giving you. Here's what it's saying. If you remember and keep this promise, you're going to have a healthy culture. Your culture is going to work. It's going to go well with you. Life will be longer because you're going to have a healthy culture that facilitates that. But if you forget this prom promise, if you, if you break this command, the result will be a broken culture. It's not going to be a safe place. It's going to be a dangerous place. It's not going to be a place where you can live long and happy. Your society won't work because when the family breaks, the culture always breaks as well. Now, what it's saying is, some, is what it's stating explicitly what we've said from the very beginning of our whole study. The whole idea that, that the Ten Commandments are core issues. They're foundational truths. The command to honor your parents is a core issue. It's a core issue that's at the foundation of all these other questions of how a culture works. In a sense, it's the bottom of the tower. And if you keep the block in place, it's going to provide a solid foundation. So what's the promise? So that your days may be long and it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. But if you forget it, if you think that you can get away with it, and suddenly, you know, you start to ignore it, it's like saying, okay, well, I think I can remove this foundational block. And, and the fact is it won't work. Anytime, and it's explicitly saying this, if you break this, it's removing a foundational block, the tower is coming down. If you break this as a culture, you're removing something that's foundational to the culture, and the whole culture is not going to work. You're not going to live healthy and happy, and it's going to be broken. So my friends, you see how important this is. This is incredibly important for us to teach our kids and our grandkids. It's important for us to model that. It's important for us as much as we have a chance to be able to, to, to convey these truths into our culture. And why is it so important? Let me go back to something that I touched on briefly before, and that is that we talked about how there's a relationship between our honoring our parents and teaching that and, our, and, and, and honoring a God. There's a relationship between honoring God, honoring other authority, honoring parents. And the reason is that God has, has, in a sense, established these authorities. In a sense, he's delegated part of his authority to these, to these established earthly authorities, that he, that in the government and family and it's actually taught throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible, you have this idea that every time you talk about authority and our relationship, we're told that we're to honor that, that, that authority. Why? Because it's established by God. God has delegated not only some of his authority, but with that, even some of his power to exercise over that authority and even some of his honor. So Romans chapter 13, for example, Paul says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. We honor them because their authority is from God. Paul teaches the same, or Peter teaches the same idea in 1 Peter chapter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor is supreme or the governor said, sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. When it says, See, be subject for the Lord's sake, what is it saying? Why do we do it? Because it's the way that we obey God. It's the way that we submit to his authority. Peter goes on in the next verse and makes it even more clear. For this is the will of God, 
You want to know how to obey God? Well, this is his will, that we're subject to these governing authorities. By doing so, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So we honor earthly leaders because that's how we honor God. The fact is, is that we need earthly leaders. We need earthly authority. And God knew that. He knew we needed it. And so even as he set up the, you know, the structure of the moral universe, he knew that okay, many a times the people in authority will not be godly people. They won't necessarily follow after him. They won't follow after his truth. But yet he said, I'm still establishing government leaders. And he's doing it for our good and even for our freedom. Now, let me just use, I could illustrate this a lot of ways. Let me take one. Okay, let's say you have a game. Okay, we think of the Browns, a big game today. Anytime, get a foot, big football the game together. You got a bunch of people. And when you get a bunch of people, for a game to work well, you need a referee. I mean, what if you didn't have a referee? What if everybody showed out for the game today and everybody said, you know what, uh, I'm gonna play by my own rules. We're gonna do whatever we want and you have 22 people out there playing by their own rules. You don't have a game. You cannot play a game if everyone's playing by their own rules. Now, you may not like the referee. You may not think that he's doing a good job. You might think that he's balanced or, or biased, but even then, you still need to have one. You have to respect that person that is in that position of authority because as much as you might be unhappy with what you believe to be a bad referee, try to play the game without a referee, and that's a whole lot worse. You can't even have a game. Or another quick illustration, what if you have an orchestra and you have 50 people, great musicians, they all show up and they're gonna play this great symphony, but they all decide, you know what, we don't need a conductor, we're gonna choose our own music, I'm gonna play whatever I wanna do, whenever I wanna play it. And you have 50 people playing their own music and it's cacophony, it's, it's a train wreck, it's, it's horrendous. So what is it, you think of music and you think of sports and pretty much all of life and suddenly you realize that there's a lot of things that can't even happen unless there's some kind of authority. Why? Because that is an illustration of the fact that there's a moral order to life. God has made this moral order and said, okay, I'm going to establish life, and there needs to be some kind of, not only what I'm saying right or wrong, but some kind of earthly authority which establishes that. And without recognizing that, it doesn't mean that they're perfect. The referee might not be great. But without the referee, there's no game. Without, without earthly authority, there's no culture. So that's why we see in Romans 13, every, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. The idea is that God, we needed it, so therefore God established earthly leaders, and he delegates some of his authority. Now, the key thing is that it's some, it's a limited amount of his authority. He doesn't give any leader free reign. He gives a limited, defined amount of authority. And that's vital to understand. Now, God just doesn't have governmental leaders. What you see is that, that he has actually different spheres. There's, the Bible teaches there are three primary different spheres of authority that are each distinct, that he's each given part of his authority over a certain area of life. Now, let me try to even use some pictures to help illustrate. I'm a very visual guy, so let me, for me, this is helpful. I hope it is for you as well. So when we talk about the, the world, we have to first of all start with the idea that God is the ultimate authority, that in a sense, God is over everything, that he is the creator, 
Some people say, well, he created and then let it loose. No, he hasn't let it loose. He's involved intimately in the world, and he retains his right and authority over everything and everyone. And even when he delegates power, it's still a delegation that ultimately he is over the person whom he delegated. He doesn't say, here, it's all yours, you do your own thing. Look at what the Psalms say about this. Psalm chapter 2, it's speaking to a group of people, leaders, who thought that, well, I'm the leader and I can do what I want. And look at what God says, Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers and take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. Basically saying, you know, we're together. Who needs God? Who needs his truth? We can do our own thing. We could be our own God. We can be our own authority. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I'm so in charge. And God's not intimidated. He's mocking. The fact is that God is sovereign over all. And in that, though, God, although he's sovereign, he retains ultimate authority, he has delegated to earthly authorities some of his power. And when you study the Bible, you see it's in three big areas that he's delegated some to the family, to parents and the authority in the family, some to the state, the governing leaders, and some to the church. Three distinct areas. The family is the most important. It's the foundational. That's why we see in the fifth commandment, it doesn't start with honor the government and then go to the family. It says, no, honor your father and mother. That is the most foundational institution in any culture. And it's the place where we have to start. Then he's also given some to the state, some to, to, to earthly leaders. That's what we see primarily in 1 Peter and Romans. You know, submit yourself to the Lord's sake for the, uh, whether the king or the supreme court or the governor speaking specifically about governing leaders. Now, sometimes you say, what about if he's an ungodly leader? We're going to come back to that. And then you have some to the church that God has distinctly set apart the church and established leadership and said, okay, I've given authority to the church. Now, now, we don't talk about this part very often. So because we never talk about it, let me just take a few moments and read a couple passages and show you that the Bible's really clear about this. Hebrews chapter 13, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, I want to tell you, it's not the same word that it says to obey for children, obey your parents. It's a different word for obey. It literally means obey thoughtfully. Obey your leaders thoughtfully. Dig into the word, and if they're telling you what the word says, then obey them. Submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Just like I said even with my parent, my, my taught daughter last week, you know, I said to her at times, you know, you've got to submit to me because I have to admit, submit to God. The things that we lead this church on, we make decisions, and we know that we answer to God, and if we make the wrong decisions, we're going to answer to him. That's a weight that we bear. So obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those will give an account. Let them, uh, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. One more passage, 1 Thessalonians 5. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard amongst you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you, that there's a leadership that we have, and that's important. It's important to, to honor. And I think about my, my parents. They taught me well with this. I remember a time... They taught me in an uncomfortable way the importance of honoring your church leadership. Uh, we were, I was raised at the chapel under Dave Burnham, who was my pastor. And um, 
And I remember distinctly one Sunday, I was probably, you know, upper elementary, lower, you know, middle school. And I was bored, so the church had this little welcome card that had a picture of the pastor and, and some boards, so I'd take that out and we didn't have cell phones to play with. So I'm, I'm, I start drawing on the picture and improving it. I put horns on them and zits and all kinds of, you know, stuff on Dave Burnham's picture. Somehow my dad found that. And... Um, and he told me that I had to go show Pastor Burnham what I had been doing during the service and apologize for not listening. And I remember, I mean, I'm just sitting there waiting until everybody is gone, you know, so that nobody else will hear me. And I'm just, you know, my knees are knocking and just saying, Pastor Burnham, I have to apologize for not. And I show him this picture with his horns and everything. And now, in retrospect, I look at it now, and he must have just burst out laughing as soon as he, I walked away. Uh, but at that moment, I was terrified. And what it was saying is, no, there's a respect to be shown. And I remember that. It was a great lesson my dad taught me. Um, I, I don't know if anybody's going to be showing me pictures here after the service this morning. I, you know, just be careful, giving your parents ideas. Um, now, there is an authority of the church. Now, let's go back to the picture. I want you to see a couple really important things. First, while God has delegated some of his authority... He is not delegated at all. There are numerous things that God reserves for himself. There are numerous things that the Bible says about truth and about right and wrong that he has not left to any of these other authorities to redefine. And if any of these authorities try to, they're stepping outside of the authority. They're, they're, not, they're, they're literally doing what God has not allowed them to do. And not only that, but we need to see that each of these are separated. And so that God has given the family and said, okay, the state can't go into the family. So the state can't go out and start telling you how to parent. What, you know, if they come and say, well, you need to send your kids to the sex ed class and you have to do, well, no, the state doesn't have the right to do that. And that's wrong. We're going to got to come to, what do we do with that? If the state can't come to the church and say, well, you're not allowed to worship during this time. That's wrong. That's overstepping their authority. So keep that in mind. Keep that picture in mind. And then we've got to say, if we keep this picture, then practically, what does it look like? What does it practically take these ideas and honor authority in real life when we talk about, you know, last week we talked about what it meant to honor our parents. What's it look like to honor the government? What about when it's an ungodly government? When it's people we disagree? And Well, first of all, I want you to see that when you look at this, this might sound wrong, but follow me, there's part of the honor that is conditional. Part of that is conditional upon the leadership. Okay, let's go back to um, 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2.13. Be subject to the Lord's sake for every, every, every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or the governors sent, sent to him to punish those who do evil and to praise who do good. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, practically, what you see when the Bible teaches about how do we honor governing authorities it speaks about submission. Honor is expressed through submission. And so practically, and, and this is repeatedly taught, you know, it's not just what we think and what we feel, but when the government gives us authority, there's a submission to the authority, in a sense, arranging ourselves under the authority that God has established. Now, a couple things that are important to remember. Remember, though, that government doesn't derive its authority from itself. It doesn't derive its authority from the people. Its authority comes from God. It's delegated from God. It's powers that God has given the government, limited powers to carry out his will. 
Now, if we understand that, it's going to change some really important ways about that we view the government. For starters, some people view the government just as, well, if they're looking at me, I've got to do that, and I've got to, you know, I don't want to get caught, I don't want to get punished, and what can I get away with? All right, has anybody ever been driving down the road, and you're going like, you know, 50 and a 30, and, and you're doing fine, and then you see a car that's, that's up there that's got some lights, and suddenly you hit the brakes, brakes and, and you, yeah, anybody, anybody else? I can't believe you did that, I can't believe, no, no but we've all done that. And now what, what's the problem? So I'm driving and I'm really not obeying the law until I see somebody and then I, then I stop because, well, now I've got to obey it because I'm afraid of getting caught. And then I'm like, for the next mile, I'm watching my rear view mirror to make sure they're not following me. And the idea is that shouldn't be the case as a follower of Christ. I shouldn't do it because I'm afraid of getting caught. Why do I submit? Because I submit unto the Lord. I submit because he's always watching me. I'm, I, I have an honor because that's the way that I honor God. The grounds of our submission is, is, is that I submit for the Lord's sake. That's what he says. Be subject to the Lord, for, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, when we look at that, though, we've got to say, okay, what's it? it doesn't mean obey. Because if you look throughout the Bible, it doesn't ever say our relationship with earthly governments is one of obedience. It's one of submission. And there's a big difference. And the hard part of understanding this is the, what our word for submission is maybe a little different than the Greek word. One of the best definitions for the, word, the biblical word for submission is it means to arrange under. Okay, if we were to go back to that picture and you have, okay, here's God and he's given some to the family and some to the state. What it means is that when the family is functioning within what God has arranged, I arrange under because that's, I'm, I'm really under God's authority. When the state is functioning within its area, I arrange myself under because I'm, I'm under God's authority there. I'm arranging myself under the authority that God has delegated. So it means that I submit to authority within the sphere of delegation. So that uh, any time that if, what the state has, they have the right to set speed limits. I might like, I like the speed limits. I might think it's stupid that the speed limit's 30 miles per hour here. And, but the fact of the matter is they have that right. God has delegated that authority. That's within the right. And so therefore, within those areas, I should submit to that area, to the government's authority. Now, ideally, the government's going to do things that are in, in line with God's truth and God's values. And, and, and now let's go, let me show you where, one place where Jesus makes this really clear. Luke chapter 20. Uh, somebody comes to Jesus and they ask him about paying taxes. And, and uh, Luke 20, let me say, show you here. It's, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? And basically, not, it's taxes, but it's saying, in paying taxes, we're not only doing that, we're acknowledging his control over us, his authority. And so you have these religious leaders, as, as good religious people, should we show that, that, we have a, that we're submitting to Caesar? And Jesus, it said, perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius whose likeness and whose inscription does it have? Uh, they said to him, Caesar's, and he said to them, then renders Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. Now, this denarius was used to pay this particular tax. It was a small silver coin, um, you know, a little larger than our dime, but it actually had a lot of value. It was made of all silver. It was the amount of money that a laborer would be paid for an average day's wage. So you think of $9 an hour, eight times eight, an eight-hour day, uh, you know, so it'd be like you know, $50, $60. Um, now, what's interesting is that when you look at this, um, historically, usually different emperors would have different uh, coins. T 
Tiberius was the, Caesar, was the emperor from 14 AD all the way through after Jesus' death. In his whole reign, he only minted one denarius. Really unusual. And so therefore, we know the actual coin that Jesus was speaking of. We know what was written on it. In fact, you know, this is the coin. This is the picture. This is exactly what you have. And you have stamped right on the front. You have uh, Tiberius Caesar. And, and what he's saying is, whose image? And the fact that that image shows you that you're using this coin and you're acknowledging that he's in charge. Whoever Rome were, ruled, you know, you're using his coin. You're showing yourself by that usage that, that you recognize his control. Let me even use another illustration. Let's say if I go out and I somehow I find a $5 Confederate bill and I go out and I try to spend that. Is anybody going to take it? No, it's worthless. You go back even to the 1860s where you had a lot of people in the South who thought that Jefferson Davis should have been president. And if they go out and they try to spend it, even though they want him to be president, is it any value? No, it's, you know, literally people used it to, you know, fuel fires. Why? Because it had no power. The leader had no power, and because he had no power, then you couldn't use his money. And if he had power, well, then you use his money. And the fact that you're using his money, when Jesus said, well, show me a denarius, you're pulling it out and saying, well, you've got the coin. The fact that you're using the money shows you that you're already acknowledging his, his power. And he's saying, since Caesar made it, since you're using his money, since you're benefiting from, the, from, the, uh, you know, from what Rome has built, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. They're within the realm of what God has, has designated. But what about when authorities reach beyond the delegated sphere? What about when you have, on one hand, they say, well, this is the part that God reserved for himself. In fact, if you go to 1 Peter and it said the government exists to reward the good and punish the evil. What happens when government takes that which God calls evil and it calls it good? Or it punishes that which God calls good? What happens when the government tells us to do things that are in direct um, opposition to what God says? Or, or what happens when, when you have one source of, and usually it's the government, that steps beyond the bounds? So it's instead of saying, well, God has delegated this, well, now I'm going to tell you how to parent. Now I'm going to tell you what you have to do with your children. Now I'm going to step beyond the bounds and I'm going to say, well, churches, well, you have to do these, these kind of weddings and we have, we're going to decide for you what you have to do. What happens then? What we have to realize is that any time they step outside of the bounds, we are not bound to obey. In fact, we're bound to not obey. Let's go back to Luke chapter 20. Remember, Jesus said, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. But he also said, give unto God that which is God's. Remember, he said, okay, show me the coin. Whose picture, whose inscription? And I want you to see when he said, whose picture? That's give to Caesar that which is Caesar. When he said, give whose inscription? That's what give to God that which is God's. Let's go back to the coin. If you see the coin, there's writing on it. You can't read it. It's, you know, it's, it's actually an abbreviation from Latin. But essentially, the writing says this. On the front, it says, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. It's abbreviation. Um, how do you fit that all on there? It's all abbreviations. Uh, the back, it says, high priest. So basically, in the inscription, Caesar is saying, I am divine, I deserve to be worshipped. So what Jesus is saying, whose inscription, or whose who's, who's picture, well, using his picture, that's justified, that's within the realm. Give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Well, the inscription... Well, when he's taking the right of worship, he's taking that which God has reserved for himself. God didn't delegate that to the, to the state. And when he's taking things that are God, well, then you give to God that which is God. You don't give to Caesar that what he demands 
if it's something that's God's and God's alone. And so what you need to realize is that in this, we've got to say, how do we manage this? Anytime that the government starts to redefine right or wrong or starts to take God's, you know, I'm, I'm going to take authority over the Bible, there's a point where we say, no, as Christians, we stand against that. And what you see throughout all of the church's history, they've always done this. You go back to the early church. In the early church, you had people that would not want their children, and so they would throw them out in the woods. And it was illegal to go get those children. Well, the church would go out and get those children and save them and raise them, and they would break the law. In Nazi Germany, you had Nazi Germany saying, you know, people were saying, we want to vote these people in. The people agreed, okay, we don't like the Jews. Hey, we're going to go kill the Jews. And you had Christians said, we're not going to participate with that. No, we're going to obey God, and we're going to work to save lives. Yet, in the, you know, in the, um, in, before the Civil War era, you had Christians that were involved in disobeying the law and seeking to, to help in the Underground Railroad just to move uh, freed, or blacks to north so that they could find freedom. And throughout time, you have seen Christians struggle with this. But here's what I want you to realize, is that it's never a command to disobey the government. When you disobey the government. Really, I'd never disobey the government. The issue is always obeying God. And any time that you have any form of government come out and say, here you have to do this, and it's in, out of line with God's word, you see, I'm not disobeying them, I'm obeying God, and I'm going to obey God as the higher standard, as the higher value, as the higher source of authority. Or if the government says, okay, parents, you have to do this, parents, you obey God, and you say, well, no, I'm not going to give you that right, because you're stepping outside of that bounds. And I'm going to obey God in the role that I have as a parent in leading my family, even if it means going against what the government's telling me to do. Because I'm going to give to Caesar that which is Caesar's, but I'm going to save for God that which is God's. This is an idea that you see another place in Acts chapter 5. You have the apostles that have been arrested and they've been told by their leaders, you know, you can't share the gospel, you can't talk about Jesus. And look at what happens. When they, they, they the apostles, were brought before them, uh, they sat them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We're not about disobeying you. We're going to obey God. And even if that means you put yourself against God, we're always going to come on the stand of obeying God, even if that means going against the governing authorities. Why? Because you stepped outside of your lane. You stepped outside of your sphere. And anytime you take authority that is outside of the sphere that God has given you, well, that's illegitimate. Okay, so now, if you want to, there's a lot of questions. What about this? What about this? Come back tonight. Any question that you have, we're going to deal with it. We'd love to, you know... We're going to, that's what tonight's all about. But let me kind of end on this. But does that mean that when somebody does that, we disobey? No. Here's what you've got to realize, is that when you see these passages speaking about submit to governing authorities, they were, how about Jesus when he said, okay, give to Caesar that which is Caesar. The guy that was Caesar was Tiberius Caesar. The, the emperor was Pontius Pilate, the guy that was in a short period of time about to crucify Jesus. Was he a godly leader? No, but yet Jesus is saying, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. As anything that is in the lane, even if he's going outside, the fact is, is that I still obey and submit within the lane. That, that you think of Paul when he says in Romans 13, no authority exists except that which God has established. Who was the emperor then? Nero. Nero was as sick as a puppy as you can get. I mean, the guy was just dysfunctional. And psych, I mean, psychologically, I mean, he would, the stuff that he did was, would turn your stomach. 
And yet Paul is saying God has established him, and within, when he's within the realm, you submit to that governing authority. And so that means that as believers, that we are called to do that. And not only that, but we're called to honor. If you go back to 1 Peter, in 1 Peter, it talked in the beginning, you know, some, you know uh, that we honor God, we do this in subjection to God. Look at what it says in verse 16 and 17. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, again, speaking of Nero, who is the emperor now, and he says, okay, honor everyone. Everyone is created in God's image. Everyone has a deserve honor. All people, we're going to come to that next week. Okay, not only that, but love the brotherhood. Have a special connection to other believers, to your family and faith. And then fear God. Recognize he's the ultimate authority. He's the one over all other authorities. But even then, honor the emperor, even Nero. Why? How could you say honor Nero? If you think about a guy that was at all, at all honorable, Nero was, you know, it, it takes the cake over any president you might disagree with over the last, you know, 10 years. Now, how could he say that? Because the honor is in the position. Just like with parents. You may have parents that have been really terrible, and get, as an adult, God calls you to honor your parents because the honor is in the position that God has placed honor on the role of father and mother, and God has placed honor in the role of government leaders and of church leaders and of people that we may disagree with. And so even if you look at it and say, well, I don't think the person is that honorable, and they failed here, and I don't... No, you still honor. Now, we, may, we live in a democracy, so we have the freedom to talk about the ideas and, and to vote and to disagree. We should do that. We should express our Christian values in the way that we process things. But you disagree in a way that's honorable. You disagree in a way that still holds up the honor of that position. My friends, this is hard. It's convicting. But yet it's what God has called us to do, to honor, to pray for our leaders, to respect them, even as we interact. And if you really struggle with it, let me go back and remind you, where is it all rooted? It's all rooted ultimately in our relationship with God. Why do I do that? Because it's a way of obeying God. I may not like my leaders. I might like... Why do you do it? Because you have God, and God isn't just the king. He isn't the sovereign ruler. He isn't the dad that's telling you what to do. He's your father who has a relationship with you. And so why do we do it? Because... Ultimately, it's rooted in this relationship with God who loves us, who knows us, who has a good in stake, and, 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 and we don't always understand what he's doing and why he's doing it and why he's bringing certain people to positions of leadership and what he's working in our culture. And, but I trust him. And I love him. And I, out of that trust, I seek to do what he calls me to do even when I don't understand it. And I seek to honor the people that he places over me, even if I don't like them, because I like and respect my, my Heavenly Father. My friends, if you're here today and if you think this is all about telling you what to do and feeling guilty if you don't do this, no, it's not at all that. You see, it's not about just a simplistic moral rule. It's about a principle that's rooted in relationship with God. And if you don't have that personal relationship with God, that's where you start. God wants that relationship with you. Start with a relationship with God, and the more that you build that relationship with Him, the more the rest of this will make sense.